<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to episode 659 with my guest Kyle Kinane. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from... Medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this uh, podcast is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod, also the social media handles that you can follow us at. And uh, speaking of waiting room, we had another really nice session at the... uh, Patreon, Zoom, weekly support group slash hangout, whatever you want to call it. We had about 20 people and a lot of vulnerability. Uh, it, it was cool. We talked about a variety of different things. Um, I read an excerpt from A New Earth, uh, and then people were could either share on the excerpt that I read or share about what was going on with them. And some of the topics that we talked about uh, were EMDR, uh, struggles with drinking, low self-esteem, and the biggie, the daddy of all topics, control. If you really, maybe I'll speak for myself, if I really break down any agitation that I experience on a daily basis, it's all centered around control and the fear of letting go, the fear of turning it over to the universe. And I'm talking about the things that I, that I can't control. Um, I yelled at, at a teammate Tuesday night at hockey. I felt overwhelmed. I played defense and there was, I was, it was me and another guy in our zone. And the other guy's name is Wayne. And he's a bit of a, of a space cadet. It's like the switch is either on or off with Wayne. He's either in his own planet or he's scoring some amazing goals. And one of the things he does that annoys me is if he makes a mistake, he gives up on the play. So it's just Wayne and I in our zone and three players from the other team. And they've got a, a the puck and they're passing it back and forth. And Wayne has the puck and he's about to get it out of our zone and I'm exhausted. I'm at the end of my shift and he loses the puck in his feet and he looks down and he keeps skating away from it. He just gives up, which is something that he does a lot. And I just screamed, Wayne, what the fuck? Come on. And then I got to the bench and I was like, come on, Wayne, don't give up on the fucking play. That's so disrespectful. I was making it all about me. 
trying to control the situation so that I didn't feel that feeling when another team scores a goal and I'm the closest guy to the to our net and feeling like it's my fault. I should have been able to to do something. And I can recognize intellectually how insane that is to try to change somebody else, to avoid what I don't want to feel. And I look at other issues that I'm having. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Had a big mouthful of macadamia nuts before I started recording. That's, that's good. Why don't I inhale sand right before I hit record? But control is such a fascinating topic to me. When I find myself obsessing about something, ruminating about some problem in my life and having trouble sleeping, I just try to imagine myself, corny as it sounds, sleeping in the palm of the universe and just letting go. And it's hard, but when I can do that, I'm reminded not only that it's not weak to let go of the things that we can't control, it's actually smart. And there's a relief in taking yourself less seriously and your problems less seriously. Not that we should ignore them, but um, just kind of stepping back and observing ourselves in this situation. I don't know, that little bit of distance allowed me to get two hours of sleep last night. Yeah. Uh, this is from the Ask Paul Anything survey. Oh, and we are up to uh, 723 uh, monthly Patreon donors, and we are halfway towards our goal of uh, of 1,500. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by a regular listener uh, who calls herself that black girl. And uh, she asks two questions. One, were you or are you in SAG or the WGA? What is the mood in the LA area with the strikes going on? I am in SAG, but because the pod, podcast, SAG uh, stands for Screen Actors Guild, and uh, they're, they're on strike, um, but I don't really do any TV or, and I've never really done any film. Done a little bit of voiceover work, um, but haven't done any of that in a while. Just the podcast is really kind of my only thing, and uh, that that's not a unionized thing. So it has not affected me, but it's affecting a lot of my friends, and it really sucks watching them uh, go through it. Uh, second question, if you feel comfortable doing so, can you update us on your shoulder and if you've returned to playing hockey? I'm not comfortable sharing that. My shoulder is very private. Actually, my left shoulder is very private, and my right shoulder is so gregarious. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I am playing hockey. I've been back for about two months. And my shoulder, I had frozen shoulder uh, syndrome. And without going into too many details, it's it's about 90%. It's functional. And so I'm happy with that. But the range of motions, yeah, like 80 90%. And uh, <laughs> the doctor was like, what you need to do is you need to stretch daily for the next year. Otherwise, you're going to go backwards. <laughs> It's, it's not something I wanted to I wanted to hear. Another thing, got to let, con- let go of control. This is from the I Shouldn't Feel This Way survey filled out by um, a guy who calls himself, uh, what does he call himself? Captain of the P team. I didn't know they had a captain. 
That makes sense, though, because you do need somebody to, to, to give a pep talk when people are having trouble peeing. You need that guy rallying everybody at the urinals. Come on, guys, dig deep. We could do this. How would you like people to think of you as someone who is stable, kind, reliable, and successful? How's it feel writing that? Kind of meh. Eh. Oh, a TBH. <clears throat> How would you use a time machine? <laughs> I love this one. So fucking honest. To get rich off Bitcoin. I'd like to throw some people into the ocean too. The really deep part, not just the part for swimming. But I wouldn't want to alter the course of things too much. Just enough for me to not have to worry about money. Selfish, I know. I think that's pretty human. I think a lot of us... If we had a time machine, that would be one of the first things we would do is go right to the stock market. Uh, <clears throat> I'm supposed to feel resilient and strong about being injured off work and in early recovery again, but I don't. It was a new line of work and money was already tight. Now I'm really having to learn to rely on a higher power for strength because I just feel consumed by the compounding issues I'm facing. I'm supposed to feel certain about my ability to trust a higher powers plan for me in recovery, but I don't. I feel skeptical and like I will fail, but also like it's not possible for me to think any differently with this depressed garbage brain. Oh, what a great term, depressed garbage brain. Uh, how's it make you f feel uh, writing your feelings out? Good. I'm glad. Writing can be so cathartic. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? A little, yes. So many people just seem to be able to put on a strong front in tough times, but I don't. I talk about how painful and difficult it is with anyone who will listen, and I feel like I'm seen as a victim when really I'm just in incredible amounts of psychic and emotional pain. I want to give you a high five for opening up about that, even though uh, that that is scary. That to me is bravery. And you, my friend... are brave for sharing that. And just because other people don't, just because they don't look scared doesn't mean they're not scared or freaking out. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Plant Nerd. And uh, she writes, not, <clears throat> not really an ask, more like a suggestion. I listened to the episode recently when you were on the Adult Child podcast love being on her podcast. I think it was my second time on there. Um, and uh, and she was a guest on, on this podcast uh, as well. And her name is uh, Andrea Ashley. And she writes, uh, and you talked about things about your relationship patterns, your divorce, your current romantic relationship that I found really interesting and helpful. And it was stuff I'd never heard you talk about on your podcast. So I just wanted to ask slash suggest suggest slash encourage you to talk about that stuff on your podcast, Smiley Face. I know you worry about talking about yourself too much, but I've learned so much about relationships and myself and people in general from the personal experiences you share. And I think of your a lot of your listeners probably do too. That, that means a lot to me, and uh, I appreciate that. And uh, it is a struggle because... There is a narcissistic side to me, and I try to be aware of that. And um, it is, uh, I have a hard time gauging what is 
the right amount of anything. And so that's kind of what's going on with that. So I will, I will definitely keep that in mind. And it's nice to know that uh, at least one person out there doesn't feel like, oh my God, stop talking about yourself. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by Liz. And about her anxiety, she writes, like these hands aren't my hands. About her alcoholism, I drink less than ever, but the way I drink is worse than ever. I drink alone. I drink to stop thinking, not to be fun or flirty or social. I drink to shut the engine down. About her compulsive eating, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches make the pain go away for 45 seconds. About her love addiction, he hurt me more than I thought possible. I gave him more than I've ever given anyone, and it was all a lie. Why do I still have sex dreams about him every night? Why do I still put makeup on when he comes to pick up our kid? He doesn't deserve my courtesy, let alone my desire, but it throbs. Snapshot from her life, masturbating to thoughts of the man that broke me. Uh, I want to suggest a book. First of all, I'm sorry that you're going through that. And boy, what a conundrum that is when the intellectual and the emotional uh, cannot agree. And uh, it sounds like that's what's going on uh, right right here. And um, I want to recommend a book, Facing Love Addiction by Pia Melody. I've recommended it a gazillion times on this podcast, but I think I think you might get some Comfort, relief, insight, just a thought. This is an email that I got from a listener in Finland uh, who calls himself, well, his name is Satu, S-A-T-U. And uh, he writes, uh, I'm so proud of you for asking for help during your financial struggles because I'm not a neurotypical average person. It took me a few weeks to make it happen. I've been a $5 a month Patreon member, actually five pound a month Patreon member for a year or two, and I now changed it to 10 pounds a month. Thank you. Appreciate that. My finances are tight, but I manage them. Uh, let's see. Uh, I got, uh, oh, by the way, thanks for the couple episodes with money themes. I got so much out of them. If there were more angles to the subject, I'd love to hear more guests talk about it. Uh, I would like to make a shout out to all the listeners who feel like they can do so little that it doesn't count. It does count. Every little bit counts. We want to have this podcast in our life and becoming a Patreon member is a relatively easy way. Changing the monthly tier is even easier since you don't have to fill out your credit card info again. Just click away. We want Paul to get his living doing this podcast. We want his life to be balanced and fulfilling and him to be able to have days off and holidays. He is not working for himself. He is working for us. So if you can chip in just a little bit, I know that dealing with web pages and forms can be exhausting, but I'm rooting for you. You can do it. I did it in four weeks. Maybe you can do it in two. Let's help keep Paul in our lives because it means so much to us. And that means a lot to me. And I really struggle with reading um, because I've probably gotten 10 emails like that where where people are saying, hey, read this to your listeners to motivate them to donate. And it's just a, uh, it's a fear of being a pain in the ass, needy, 
do I, again, too much. Uh, am I doing it too much? I, I was just sh- sharing with a friend earlier in the week that I think one of the things that if we grew up in, in households with dysfunction or lack of boundaries or fuzzy boundaries, one of the things we get robbed of is the sense of what is reasonable or right-sized. And so doing nuance or moderation or having a sense of what's appropriate um, in interpersonal relationships or what we ask for or what we give, we feel kind of lost. And I feel like I'm better at it, but it's still it's still a struggle. A lot of second guessing. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a, by a woman who calls herself Dipsy. About her anxiety, she writes, not getting things done because I'm so worried about all the time I've already wasted. And about her excoriation disorder, she writes, it's like having a fidget toy always with you and it just happens to be your face. That is such a good one. That is such a good one. Thank you for that. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive, a must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And then finally, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by our uh, our friend who calls herself Plant Nerd. She writes, many years ago, my grandmother from Michigan visited my adult apartment for the first time in Oregon. I was always an artsy and very liberal person, and I had a painting I had done of John Frusciante, the guitarist for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, amazing guitarist, on my bedroom wall where he was nude except for a pair of combat boots and a strategically placed feather boa. My grandma, who was a conservative Midwestern Catholic lady who I'd never heard ever utter a curse word, glanced at the painting and casually asked, is that a queer? My consciousness might be disintegrated. 
heavy weighted blanket on my brain. Symptomatically. And I can't think straight. Things present themselves for a reason. And I can't see straight. I couldn't even drive. The first movie that I remember watching with him. Post-traumatic stress. When I was like five years old was Pulp Fiction. <laughs> and moral injury. I would act out the scenes. Gonna go to hell. Or... With my Barbies. <laughs> The greatest source of our suffering Ordinary is where all the good stuff happens Is our unwillingness to experience and accept our emotions It is very hard to heal in dark isolation I developed compassion It is in connection and community where that happens The process was nearly unbearable Like, I'm gonna have to kill myself We'll be right back after this <laughs> I am here with uh, the very funny and very talented Kyle Kinane uh, Did you believe I was telling the truth there? I was kind of... I tried to sell it. Did you? Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. then I guess, yeah. All right. Good job. <laughs> Seriously, Kyle Kyle is... Uh, dude, you are one of the unique voices in comedy. A comedian's comedian. I was, I was telling Kyle before we started recording that um, I have a group chat text with uh, comic friends of mine, and we were sharing uh, a clip that you did, and... Um, it's rare that comedians are like, you got to check out this thing that this guy did. That yeah, that means a lot when it's that when it's your cohort when your peers are like, oh, it's yeah. really funny. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. I, I love that. Appreciate it. thank you for sharing it around. I'm gonna. You got a piece of fuzz on your eyebrow. I, I want do. you to get it because it's all I'm looking at, and I'm looking out for you too. <laughs> I, I want that for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, you got a new special. Let's plug that uh, in case we we forget. It's called Shocks and Struts. Mm -hmm. And uh, where where can people get that? Oh, it's on YouTube. Okay, that that exclusive platform, YouTube. I, what is this YouTube? <laughs> is that on the internet? It's more or less. It's like the Amex Black Card. It's really it's, it's only open to a few people. <laughs> so, uh. so. Uh, one of the things that we exchange in an email is some topics to talk about. When mm -hmm. when your um, publicist first, first approached me about you coming on the show, uh, I was excited because I was like, I'm yeah. a big fan of his stand-up. I've met him. I know he's a nice guy. But then there was a part of me that was like trying to um, picture you talking about deeply emotional stuff and being vulnerable and i yeah. th and i thought i don't know kyle's kind of <laughs> the the last time i was hanging out with him he was kind of the party guy yeah. and um but then you party guys have feelings too paul i know i know sometimes, sometimes party guys are the saddest guys <laughs> I, oh i believe that that is absolutely the case but sometimes i i find that they have trouble getting in touch with that part of themselves to to express yeah. it, but then your publicist sent over some topics that mm -hmm. you would be willing uh, to yeah. to talk about that are, are kind of vulnerable. So I was like, "Yay!" Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I hit on some of the stuff in the in stand up. Also, I mean, the the closing bit on the new special really comes down to how much I <clears throat> project my feel, like how how you know where you need to feel superior by mentally. Putting like pe putting people down, whether out sure. outwardly or like, that's something I struggle with. <clears throat> like we were talking about before, like the movie The Wrestler, aging, but certain like like oh out outwardly everybody's everybody's wrong but you, mm -hmm. but then laying awake at night knowing oh I was wrong all day, right. and 
I don't know, there's this fear of like, I think comedians especially, there's this fear of developing and growing because maybe the fact that you're funny is that you have this one hard opinion or this one strong viewpoint. And <clears throat> comedy's like, it's easy if you're like, well, I know I'm right and let me tell you why you're wrong right. and here's my attitude. And I think that's a lot of comedy right now is somebody trying to tell me what how the world works. I'm like, if yeah. you're... 30 and you've only ever been a comedian you actually know so little about how the world works and i'd rather hear a comedian go i don't know how things work Couldn't and here's me more. trying here's me stumbling and failing through some lessons that's far more interesting and I, I also as a life to live your life that way it's harder as a comedian to be like well i see both sides of the argument mm -hmm. and what so how did you progress to that place was it just enough times being wrong yeah i think and i you know i still am that it's not there's no lesson that's been 100 percent learned yet but i think it's as soon as i think i know all there is to know about like or, or if i have such a strong opinion about something in comedy i have to look at them like well why are we so scared to <clears throat> read other opinions about it or hear somebody else's standpoint on it so comedy's made me grow as a person because of just for the sake of the act, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd rather see somebody like, well, this is why I think X, Y, and Z is correct. And then let me research why it might be wrong. And then we go, well, am I mad at myself for being wrong? Like, I go down those pathways, if that makes sense at all. It does. It does make sense. And I think so much of... Uh... Depth, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to have more depth with the comedy. I think one of the greatest tools that we can learn if we're going to grow is to understand what we can't control and mm -hmm. the, the parts of ourselves that um, to be realistic about it, the parts of ourselves that um, maybe we're not great at and that we need to let go of or that we yeah. don't want. You know, we talk about what we were talking about before we started yeah. uh, recording. Well, even just, just talking about being like the party guy, like I don't, that's to me, that's sad if you stay the party guy as you get older, mm -hmm. as you, if, as a comedian or just as a person, if you don't develop and like, oh, we're, we're at the, you know, we're at uh, somebody's son's high school graduation and the dad is still wasted. Like that's a sad thing. Yeah. And. Coming to terms with that is pretty – because I'm still – I got a couple jokes about like, oh, yeah, so I was at the bar real late and this happened. But I'm trying to frame it in a way of that this isn't a celebration. Mm -hmm. I'm not proud of who I am for still being the guy. Like, yeah, I don't have a, a home – I've got a long-term girlfriend, but I don't have kids. I don't know if it's like, well, I got to go home and be a dad in the morning. I'm like, no, nah, I can still lay in bed till 11 and then get up and putz around. And I, I have a real mixed feeling between, like, one day I think I'm winning because of that. Like, yeah. Other people have to get up at 6 a.m. to go to go to a job at an office. Boy, do I, my, do I have it figured out. Suckers. Yeah, but Let then, me go vomit. Yeah, well, and then the other days, like, and I'm not even saying, like, I'm hub just because I could just lay in bed and look at my phone until I want to do something that day. And then the other day, like, I'm like, oh, you lack motivation to get up and even do anything. Are you winning or have you just preserved this 17 year old mindset. Like I'm just, a, I, I like Tom Hanks and big, mm -hmm. you know, and like, is that really a great thing? Is it's, that, is that okay? 
And so are at this point, are you just questioning that? Or yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm sure you get enough comedians that, you know, have imposter syndrome or um, what's survivor's guilt, I think, is more of it where I'm like, oh, why am I? You spend half your time wondering why you're not getting more opportunities as a performer and entertainer and the other half going, how dare I make a living <laughs> at this? This provides nothing. If I stopped doing what I was doing tomorrow, the world would be unchanged. It's not like, you know, it's not like a plumber walking off the job or a mechanic walking off the job. What, how dare I, I ask you, for more out of this life? I, th I think you were selling yourself short. And you probably know that intellectually. But it keeps you in check. I think yeah. if, if you lose that, if you lose that sense, like the concept of an arrogant comedian, that's the funniest thing in that, that a comedian would have would have like a pompous attitude about what they're doing for the, the world. The desperate, needy child needing oh, to be the center God. of attention. Just have an attitude in like a green room of a comedy club. I'm like, yeah. this is a mozzarella stick restaurant, and you're gonna walk around here like, yeah, you know, like like your prince, like you're about like you shredded a guitar solo. You didn't do any of that. You're you are subjectively funny to people, and so I try to avoid that. But I don't know, this is all, am I trying to avoid it because I want to be a good person? Or am I trying to avoid it because I want to be perceived as a good person? Ooh, Paul, help dude, me out. Dude, that's a that's a good question. I, You know, one of the things that I try to do when I'm caught in that place of where's the truth is I, I ask myself, what are my intents? Mm. Because I got to a place in my career when I was doing stand-up. You know, I used to look down on people I thought were doing comedy to get laid. Yeah, And at a certain point, I went, I'm a little bit one of those guys. Not that I was looking <laughs> to get laid, but I was looking for validation. Yeah. And I realized there is almost no part of me that is performing to give. I am performing to get. And that was a hard thing for me. Yeah. I mean, if I felt like I was giving, that was great. And so as I go about my life... I try to always ask myself, what is my intent when I'm making an apology to a person? I Sometimes I will ask myself, what is my intent? Am I trying to control what they think of me? Or am I doing it because yeah. it's the right thing to do? But then because it's the right thing to do, that also goes back to like, well, I want them to think I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> like right. It still goes, how does it not always go back to... That I got maybe that's what we're cracking open here. I always somehow think of how it falls back on me, how it pertains to me. How do I look in this situation? Right. And I think that's that's normal in human. I I just I think it helps to be conscious that maybe both things are at play mm -hmm. and to try to let go. You know, there's a, a saying in recovery: "What other people think of me is none of my business." And and I think that is the hardest thing for me to accept. Well, also as a comedian, your career is kind of based on how other people think of you. Yeah. It's your value is determined by other people. So, how do you then take that professional aspect of your life, but not apply it to the personal aspect? I don't. I still. I don't know. I still. Yeah, I still care about what people think of me. I, less so now. I think I've gotten a little bit better at it. 
but I still like, why am I still reading all the comments and doing all that? I've, I've learned not to respond to them, but if I read something and it's like something shitty, a hundred great, a hundred compliments, fine. One negative thing. You read that and you're like, well, that's a high fact. You know what? I'm not gonna, but if I responded, I would set them straight. Cause I would say that. Why should I, why can't I just steamroll through that bad one and be like, yeah, whatever. It's not for everybody. Is it part of you fears that that's the truth? Yeah. And you just can't see it? Yeah. And I want to just look like a guy that's unbothered by things. But yeah. I'm super bothered by these things. And then I'm pissed at myself because I'm not the guy I think I am. I'm not the, like the laid back dude that's not bothered by stuff. That pisses me off. I want to be that guy. Do you ever share that with with friends or or do you just kind of keep that to yourself? And my girlfriend gets it. She'll see me getting spiraling out about some. She said, why do you care? Why is what they think? So you want everybody to like you. And I'm like, oh, I guess. And somebody shared a quote. This is more in a professional manner, but it was a quote about Liz Fair that she wants to sell. So yeah, somebody told her, like, yeah, your problem is you want to sell 2 million records to a million people. Like you want to be, you want the <clears throat> popularity but you want it for only the people that you think right. are cool enough to like it. Right. And they're like, oh, that one stung. That's it, yeah. You don't get to control who likes what you like or likes okay. what you do. I heard uh, Lenny Kravitz uh, talking about how when, when he's performing, he he looks out into the crowd uh, just always hoping that there were more black people there. And I was like, wow, it never ends. You can have a stadium full of people and you're like, no, there's something that's still not right. I, I also feel the same way, Lenny. I'm surprised I'm not more of a diverse act. Are you, are you, is it just white guys with beards? That's exactly. I, it means, it does mean more when you've like kind of uh, like branched out, like when it breaks this kind of, not self-imposed, but, yeah, it's like low self-esteem bearded white dude comedy is going to appeal to low self-esteem bearded white dudes. <laughs> but when you do see, like, I was, I think it was Michigan, there's just two, like, middle-aged black women just at the show having the time of their life. And that meant more than the room of everybody else having a good time. It's like, what are you finding so f I'm glad. That means... Can we go out for drinks and you can explain to me why I'm yeah, likable? And it's, yeah, and it's not some, like... A white gilder is just like, oh, it's. I'm glad that something I'm doing. I think it's for everybody, but then you know who's mostly consuming the product. You see who's at the show. So what it is, somebody else. You're just happy that, like, yeah, I would hope that this, what I'm saying, uh, appeals to everybody. Is what I mean by that. Yeah, I mean, but Lenny Kravitz. I mean, I don't know if Lenny Kravitz has heard any Lenny Kravitz records, but that's who's going to be at the show, right? <laughs> So uh, what people who like Led Zeppelin, right? So uh, you grew up in Chicago, Addison, Illinois, Western but, suburbs. Yeah, DuPage County. And and what was uh, home life like? What was uh, what made you be a comic, Kyle? Let's get I, right to I, the. I cannot sort that out either. My sister and my well, my sisters in L.A. I was in L.A. We're both no showbiz theater family stuff. My mom was a homemaker. My dad worked for the worked at O'Hare. Still works in the airline industry, and no performance, no outward. I have no idea what it is. Were, like were it you, really doesn't make sense. <laughs> were you kind of uh, 
in the corner, were you gregarious, making friends laugh? Was comedy a currency? I think, oh, okay, let me phrase it like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was because, I mean, you, I, I don't know. I think it's a Midwestern thing of like, all right, things are never going to be great. <laughs> like, they're not, it's not, ter- you know, we're not some, you know, we're not like a Hooverville or anything. It's like, it's still, it's fine. Like. Things are fine, but they're never going to be great. And don't expect them to be great. You'd be happy with what's around. And if you're going to complain about something, you better be funny. Because otherwise, why would anybody listen to you complain? We all have shit to complain about. So if you're going to complain, it should be entertaining. Because then the person that's complaining is getting laughs and they feel better. You're there. You want to listen to them and support them. But at least they're complaining in a fun way then you're all laughing about what they were pissed about and it's kind of all right and that's kind of how i saw things i was also you know pretty i think i was a little desperate for attention i I was i was a class clown kid um and then started was playing some music because i'm like well being a comedian because what you started in chicago yeah like Mm -hmm. when when did you uh, I started it, doing it, open mics in 87 and then went full time in like 88. So you were there when there was like the boom was the still happening. And so if you could stand on stage and not fall down, you could get yeah. stage time. I still might have been disqualified then. At some <laughs> those points. Uh, but so, yeah, I started in 99 when it was like comedy was not a popular it thing. Had, to it do. had dipped and it needed it dipped to dipped real hard. Yeah. And, but I so I wasn't telling anybody that I started comedy because it seemed desperate because i was playing music and i was playing in band the band all the band guys were already funny and then just they were funny between songs and then here's a song you like but then also the guys funny. to just be to just do comedy seemed it's like it's weird it seemed kind of like pathetic because i grew up well it was like all this punk rock diy and everything like oh you're gonna go just what dance and make jokes like you're gonna be a clown on purpose and I was like, yeah. That's pretty that. harsh. Yeah. But that's also projection. That's what I thought people were going to say when they found out I was doing stand-up. Was that, do you think um, that the fact so that comedy had become so homogenous and just uh, everywhere and and overwhelmingly <laughs> mediocre that, that there was some uh, stink to it? Are you talking about right now or <laughs> dude I, I feel like the quality of uh i feel like there are more quality comedians now than there were when i was doing there's more of, of all of it yes but it is because more people it, it are feels doing it. very bloated but that was it, it yeah it just wasn't coming from like all the music and the art scene and everything comedy was not held to any regard like it just it was you know, you went to Second City for prom weekend or something, and, you know, they would ask for suggestions, and you'd be an 18-year-old or a 17-year-old, and you'd say dildo or something, you know, something that you thought was funny because you're a moron. Right. I was that guy, you know. And, but then that's all you knew. I didn't know what stand-up. I didn't. I saw would see it on TV, but I remember seeing, like, Mitch Hedberg. I'm like, well, this guy doesn't look like he fits in with somebody talking about, oh, my kids are nuts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I knew something was out there, and then I found open mics, and it was, oh, it was all these, it was the people that, like, kind of got booted out of the poetry scene in the city because they weren't taking poetry seriously enough. 
but were still like they they were still writers. They were still yeah really creative, but just their poems were like funny, and so the the slam poetry scene like they weren't as welcome there. Musicians that were in between bands or whatever, but like oh, I get the guitar and I get to do some song. And the second city people that kind of got maybe got a little burnt out or like, oh, this seems like a bit of a pyramid scheme. I think I'm just going to go do stand up and right. it's free. <laughs> and so the people that moved over to that. And so when I saw that, that added some validity to stand up where it kind of felt like, okay, some of these band guys, okay. There it, it is some, kind of punk There could be some art in yeah. there rather than I'm just going to move sure, sure. Yeah, a, no, a, a tiny bit. Um, but, so, uh, yeah, I was, was going to say to go to the what that did for me is I was 22 when I started to do open mics and I did not. Yeah. Family life. I didn't have a direction. I didn't have it was really I was going to be the guy that, you know, whatever job I had at 20, I was going to zigzag my way up to a position where like, all right, that's the you make this money now and is your job and you live in town and. And then there's no – that's a success story for plenty of people, that they got their act together and, they, you know, they stopped partying so much mm-hmm. and you met somebody you cared about and maybe you started a family. I just thought that was inevitable. So I was like, well, I can try everything I want to. I could try being a band. I could try doing stand-up. And stand-up was the only thing that gave me any sense of fulfillment and made me stop. It was hardly – I mean, it was all in bars. So I, my My drinking escalated. But I wasn't, like, getting as stoned and as messed mm-hmm. up. I wasn't doing, like, like crazy drugs or anything. Gotcha. But I was real good for, like, I was real good for sitting around at somebody's house stoned and doing nothing with my evenings. Right. So stand-up made me, like, prioritize, like, well, you have to do this right. two or three nights a week. And, like, oh, I got to ditch my friends that have day jobs. And that's why they can get stoned at night. Like, oh, yeah, well, you're going to, you're getting a doctorate during the day you can be high at night calm down for a little bit me i gotta be out at night i'm working at a warehouse during the day i gotta go tell jokes at night and so that kind of broke me out of that pattern um and then yeah did the the drinking or or drugging when you were doing stand up Mm -hmm. uh become an issue one of the things when Kyle walked in, uh, I said, dude, you look great. You, you, uh, I think you've yeah. lost weight since I've last seen you. And you yeah. said, well, I'm not boozing like I used to. <laughs> yeah, I still enjoy my drinks here and there, but it's not an every night. I think it was a binge drinker. I don't think I was an alcoholic. I was <clears throat> honestly, the last time we worked together, I think it was like uh, maybe 2010, 2011. Yeah. Um, I was a little worried about you. We we were oh, doing really? that show oh. opening for Janine in where was it Seattle or Portland or somewhere? Do you remember that? Oh, she was taping a special yeah. at the Moor. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And and they were like, "Where's Kyle?" And I think it was noon or something because we were doing a sound check. And they're like, "Oh, he's at the bar across the street." And <laughs> oh. and I was like, "Oh no!" Uh, and I just remember. Like this guy is is so talented and has such an original voice. I really hope he's not going to go the way so many do and, and uh, torpedo their thanks, his, his career. Hold that thought for one second. I got it, man. Somebody have well, I like lay that down. And was then this was go, this the intervention you were going to have? And now you realize we we don't have to have it because I'm not drinking so much anymore. <laughs> We've called off the intervention. I sent them home. I, you know, I'm glad I got ahead of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice to... Turns out he's fine, guys. Don't yeah. worry. 
so uh, yeah, picking up where we were talking about that, I was yeah. uh, a little concerned. And it's not like we were friends. It's just you know you've been in comedy long enough. You can see a certain path that somebody's uh, heading down, yeah. and, you, and you really hope that that doesn't become a bigger problem for them. I. <clears throat> Is it sick to to think, man, I wish it would have gotten a little more out of hand because it would have been a cooler story as opposed to, <laughs> yeah, I just kind of stopped drinking so much. Like, you feel like the, the credibility as an artist really comes from this. How close to the edge did you get and come back? And like, I didn't even get that. I didn't get close to the edge at all. I, just, I, I, I probably delayed what I do have in my career by about five years. And what but, were were there warning signs? Were there uh, any stories that you can share that were wake up calls? Oh, I mean, a couple of wrecked cars, uh, you know, a DUI. I mean, again, it's hardly, you know, these these stories of redemption that the bigger stars have. But I, uh, I just, yeah, I just, I, I just was, I was just real drunk all the time, and I really. Thought that going headlining on the road more made me realize like, well, do you want this? This is what this is that your dream came true. Are you going to blow it because you're going to get drunk before the show? So I'm like, no, you can get drunk after the show. And then being on the road, you go to a city for the first time. Yeah, you're excited to be there, and everybody wants to take you out to the spots they go to, and you do it. And the second time, like, all right, maybe I'll come back through. And then by the third time, like, I know what your town has to offer. It's great. I don't need, you know, a barbecue rib sandwich with a full pastrami uh, bun and everything. Like, I don't need to eat that. I don't need to drink that. I'm going to stay at the hotel. They got HBO. It's fine. And that part's weird because then it's like, well, now is it getting lonelier? Is it getting stale? Like, the thing now I'm just still doing this on repeat, going out to clubs and coming home. I don't think so. I still... Love that I'm that that's what I'm doing for a Dude, living. That sounds really, really healthy. <clears throat> yeah, to me, I think it's great. I and sometimes I wonder about the outside view of like, oh, it's so lonely. You just travel. You're always traveling. And how many weeks a year are you on the road? I don't even count, but it's usually two how, two or three weekends a month at least. Yeah, at least. But two. you're just doing weekends. Yeah, I was I was touring before. Where I'd go out for like two weeks or two and a half weeks and just do a different city, do like a small music venue and drive between cities. And those actually mellowed me out too because I'm driving. I don't have a tour manager. I'm driving myself. I got a six or seven hour drive that I got to get up early for, make that drive, and then be in good shape to do a show. So I wasn't going out then. It just, I think it lost. It's, I, I still, I still drink. I'm not going to lie and say like right. you're not going to see me, you know, have a beer or a cocktail somewhere. I just don't think I'm in a happy relationship. There's no nothing after midnight is going to do anything. I'm not going to see anything after midnight that I haven't seen already. I like that. You know, but up until that point, I'll have the laughs. I'll sit, you know, and have a good time with everybody and share laughs. And I'll, you know, take a lift home. (laughs) Getting uh, how long you been in your relationship? Nine years. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, there's this saying that. You're getting into a relationship, you're you're kind of presented with a mirror uh, of yeah. what's going on with you and your issues and et cetera, et cetera. Have there been any things um, since you got into your relationship with her where it dawned on you that there was a part of yourself that you hadn't addressed or weren't aware of before? 
A lot of it. <clears throat> yeah, we've done a, a lot of work together uh, on the relationship. And I think we got together because we were both kind of partying. And then as that gets older, you know, I, sometimes I wear I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to be a homebody. I hope that's all right. But then I realized, well, you still want to go dance and do a fun thing. Then I will go do a dance and do a fun thing with you. It doesn't have to be because we're drunk or because it's like, no, you still want to do fun things. That's okay. I'm going to I'm going to stop being. I don't know if it's lazy, if it's fear or something. I get off the road and I'm like, I'm cool staying home. I'm, I don't want to be the party guy anymore. And that's kind of a one way ticket to just being an old man. Like, ah, the world's for young people out there. Like, yeah, but I got this great lady. She wants to go dance. Go dance. What do you, what? Get off your, like, what, because you could have sat home and watched TV. TV's not going anywhere. Is, and is it uncomfortable or tortuous for you no. to be out there when you're feeling like you just want to chill? No. Once I go, it's fine. It's getting off my ass. It's be, being a self-starter. Now that stand-up happened, it's my career, part of me feels like... Ooh, this is a weird one. I, I dumped it on the therapist once. I, I feel like there's a finite amount of good fortune and luck for an individual, and I feel I maxed it out by Ooh. whichever OCD thing I did growing up of, like, taking everything. I was real obsessed with even numbers. Like, more base-level OCD, nothing crippling. But, the you know, the early juvenile stages of, oh, I got to take all every staircase two steps at a time. I got to do things in even numbers. I got to... You know, I let that stuff spin into uh, eating more fingernails than any human alive, I think. And uh, but like, oh, this will things will work out if you just do this. Things will work out if you do these things. This makes sure everybody's safe, not in the spun out specific sense, but like the general anxiety is at at ease if if you Mm -hmm. do if you knock twice or four times, not three Mm -hmm. times or five. But so I had a youth of doing that. And now, holy shit, out of what percentage of people on earth can you say their specific dream came true and I'm in that percentage? Is it because I I rode my bike up and down the driveway ten times (laughs) instead of nine times? What's it from? Okay. Well, you used it all up. Your dream came true. You you don't get to ask for more. And is that a fleeting thought or is that something that's really embedded? It's kind of embedded. Sometimes I feel like... Like I, I don't, I don't get to have more because I got this thing. So, I, and I use that to to curb being jealous or you know compare and despair. As uh, I don't, you, you, did you know Monty from Chicago? I, I don't think so. Mon- Big bald guy, Mon- Monty. What was his last name? Uh, he never went by a last name. He no? was, he was involved in some things that having oh. having a last name was <laughs> well, not. I wish beneficial. I would have known Monty. Yeah, my, you might you might have. But he's he's a performer. He's out here now. He's a writer and performer. But he's always like, oh, compare and despair, Kyle. It's just you, you compare yourself to somebody, you're going to despair. That's it. So that rings yeah. through my head like, oh, I'm getting jealous. Why does somebody have this much stuff? Why does somebody have that much? Well, because they're willing to do all these other things with their life. They're willing to like promote on their phone. Every day they're talking to their phone, promoting something. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to live this this non-viewed existence that I'm I'm just happy doing my little things. I so I so get that because that's one of the things that I struggle with is going back and forth between no you're being authentic 
to who you are and mm. then saying, no, you're lazy and you're going to suffer for it. Yeah. Is that, uh, is that Midwest? Is it Catholic? Is it like you got, you have to beat yourself up over something. Yeah. I don't know where you raised Catholic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not like strict, but I mean, enough. Enough. You know, the seed enough was planted. Of it. Yeah. I was confirmed. It's was I confirmed mean, I'd have guilt attached to everything I do for the rest of my life. I mean, the, the fact that one of the tenets is you're born dirty. Mm hmm. Yeah. How, I, we need to wash this brand new baby. Yeah. <laughs> we got to wash this brand new baby. Yeah. Tainted. Bad news. So uh, talk about jealousy. Um, I mean, you did uh, just uh, a little bit there, but when. Um, has it ever gotten to a point where it was really affecting you? And what I were some of the things that you were jealous of? Was it people's uh, wealth, uh, notoriety? Well, that's. I think it's not. I think it's looking at what people. Like, again, it now we're in a day where everybody's presenting what they want you to know about mm. their life. It might not be authentic. I'm just seeing. You know, at some point you see like you feel like maybe you get passed up by some comics. They start after you. And yeah, they start after and they kind of got the L. But you know what? They're the ones willing to sit on social media as part of the job. Mm -hmm. That's where I have. That's how I curb it. Am I willing to do the things that they're doing? No. Then how how dare I have that feeling towards them? They have the hustle. Good. Get, uh, you know, enjoy the fruits of your labor. If you want to do the hustle and be on the internet and be, do social media and figure out algorithms and hire camera people to get a clip for you to do all this, I don't want to do any of that. I really, and that's where when I find myself spinning out or getting jealous or looking at who has what and who's doing bigger venues than me and who's selling more tickets than me, I have to, I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at self-correction these days. Where I'm like, mm -hmm. hold on. Are all your bills paid? Yeah. Why? Is it because of jokes? Yeah. Do you have some money left over from joke money after your bills are paid? Yeah. Do you want more of that money? Yeah. I don't know. Got enough. I don't have a house or anything, but I kept a low overhead for the last 25 years. I, kept, I maintained a very streamlined existence. I didn't get into debt. I paid off my debts early on. No kids. A uh, long-term girlfriend, but ain't no no house or anything. So what are you what are you pissed about then? Unless you're going to fix it or do the things that they're doing, how dare I get mad about that? And I don't know if that's healthy or not. Like I'm, I'm squashing, super, dude. I think it's super healthy. I think the place where it can kind of get into dangerous territory is if we're we're dealt a blow or we have some kind of trauma from the past mm -hmm. and we minimize it by comparing it thinking that that is um that it has to be on a curve to have us have compassion for ourselves and and it's not um i i think the important thing to to focus on and i'll just speak for myself mm -hmm. has been it's important for me to go through the phase of mourning yeah. something whether it's a loss or 
you know, what, whatever it is to give myself compassion so I can process it and then fucking move on okay. and not have it just stay in the intellectual of, yeah, but you weren't born as a prostitute in Calcutta. Yeah. Well, you don't have to be to have a wound that, that needs attention and healing. Yeah. I've been accused of being a little too analytical with my arguments sometimes. <laughs> I think my favorite was, was arguing with the, this is where I thought I was winning, too. I was arguing with my girlfriend. She's like, you argue like a lawyer. I'm like, yeah, they're professional arguers, and they win, and that's why. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's not about right or wrong. It's about the emotions involved and why there's an argument in the first place. Yeah. And I couldn't. I can only just look at the end zones of each. Like, well, I have a point because I was correct about this, and you have zero points because you're I'm like, yeah, that's not how you argue in an emotional relationship. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's why are we arguing. That's why. And... I think that's a point of growth of like, okay, yeah. let's we're, we're sitting it out and like, well, let's not prove who's right or wrong. Let's figure right. out why are we arguing in the first place? Yeah. And, and, and what <clears throat> we're feeling, which sounds so kind of corny and new agey, but mm -hmm. I think if any relationship is going to survive there, there has to be that emotional connection, that vulnerability. So you can team up rather than it being, I'm going to defend what I'm feeling yeah. uh, because I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, I would argue like there's an audience watching and keeping score for both parties. That's not a good, that's not a healthy way. <laughs> an, an audience that inherently already dislikes you. Yeah, yeah, dislikes me. Or it's the audience that already approves of me and I'm just sh showing off on how right. well I know these talking points. But that, like getting stuck, you say getting stuck in the intellectual part right. of, that's a good way to put it. I think like I get stuck in that, like, well, why do I feel this way? What What actions... What circumstances surrounding my life result in this feeling? Well, who cares? This is your feeling. I do want to say, do you think there was this part in, at least in the two, late 2000s and two, early 2000s teens? I don't know how to call the decades yet. Yeah, fuck the millennium. Man. <laughs> I don't know it's how what they're saying. What, uh, where, like, discussing mental illness or issues was kind of like the de facto stance for stand-up. And then it became where everybody was thought if they just now, like nowadays it's the, I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Like that's the new stance for like, that's the hot, like bro comedy's popular. And it's like, let me tell you how the world works. That's the kind of, vibe. yeah. But How for do you a lot fucking snowflakes yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the problem with it. But before the default was, well, I have this, this, and this. And then the punchlines were secondary versus the, well, let's welcome someone who's being brave about their feelings. I felt like this is, I, and tell me if my head's up my ass on this one. I think a, some of the public processing of, mental health issues was a bit commercialized mm -hmm. within stand-up. And as a stand-up, it had me going like, well, <clears throat> do I have all these things? Do I have to take a mental health stance in stand-up to prove that I'm relevant to these audiences that are coming to shows? And the answer, I mean, I know the answer is no, but that's, I started feeling that way of like, well, I'm not going to say I'm depressed if I know I'm not depressed. I, th I thought a lot of people were like, just armchair self-diagnosis. Well, I'm depressed, so here's why I'm a relatable comedian. I'm like, 
Are you depressed or did you just move to a very expensive city where the percentage of your dream working out is less than zero? <laughs> and that happened and now it's tough. Like, right. And that's shit because I know it sounds like I'm, I'm undercutting people's real issues. But I started thinking about everything in terms of like, well, like I, I, I thought I was starting to pull things apart that didn't need to be pulled apart. Mm. Now, am I wrong? So you're talking about art, artistically the value of doing that. Artist, you- but then looking inward and being like, well, do I have, are these issues? Am I supposed to have issues right now? Am I supposed to, because I started going to doing some therapy over pandemic just for a few things. And I was having a hard time again, like what you're saying, maybe the party guy has a hard time getting in. Mm-hmm. to the, access these feelings or one of the biggest fears. What if they're just not there? That's the, the I've, you know, doing like couples therapy, individual therapy and wondering if there's just not this next layer. Where did you find out? I haven't really gotten it yet. And I don't know, like that's, but doesn't that, doesn't that mean I'm a sociopath? You know, you fucking turned it into that. That was a stroke of genius. <laughs> like, what if I don't know? I don't have these other feelings I'm supposed to have. I think the fact that you turned that into you being a sociopath just revealed what we were, what we were looking for. I'm scared, Paul. What does you it know, mean? I, I had a therapist say to, to me one time, you don't trust your own, uh, I don't know if she were, used the word integrity. But uh, you you doubt your your instinct. You know you don't you don't trust what your personal truths are, and I think it's good to question them. Yeah. But I mean, man, that sounds to me like what you just shared is <laughs> is like you you couldn't put that uh, whip down for longer than thirty seconds, and you got to bring <laughs> no, it out and no, go. I can't. I didn't have an epiphany. I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> well, yeah, because, it, I mean, is it like, yeah, you don't trust your own integrity. Like, I constantly feel like I'm not me. I'm the PR department for me. You know, me is Nestle. Me is a despicable company that's committed a, a, a heinous acts worldwide. But the PR company is me going, yes. well, I'll tell you exactly what I want you to know about me. And I'll, right. you know, that's like, but don't, doesn't everybody do that? Like, don't, doesn't everybody want to be liked a little bit at first and then somebody can get to know me? I kind of miss the concept of shame. Somebody else, I saw it online too, but like shame was good. Shame was a good thing for a long time where people were like, oh, you know what? I'm uh, sometimes I'm embarrassed of who I am. Not this. You if you you got to deal with me. I am who I am. And it's your job to deal with me. No, it's not. I think it's your job as a member of society that wants to bob and weave around everybody else to maybe get used to like why should you be the most special thing in the world everybody can't be the most special thing in the world right well yet it- here i am believing that and also trying to be a famous stand-up comedian <laughs> well, which is all about me so i i think there's a line between uh toxic shame and yeah. uh grandiosity okay and good point it's yeah. certainly hard to find especially if you know you're into black and white thinking, which I think, you know, Catholicism, boy, you talk about a black and white religion. I am very, you're going to heaven yeah. or you're going to burn in hell. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no apartment in between. And you're born between. going to hell. <clears throat> yes. You're born going to hell until somebody else comes in and gives you the old uh, 
Jesus sponge bath, and then you get to go. Yeah, I, I get accused of the black and white thinking thing. Again, the way I would argue with girlfriend, well, well here I am correct in this point. Well, good. Go. You can be a winner and you can go fuck yourself <laughs> if, as a winner, or you can be with somebody and realize there's compromise in these arguments. So how mm. how have you changed in your discussions with her about things where you your instinct is to be the lawyer? I think we both now, when we see it starting to bubble a little bit, like <clears throat> it's right there. It's like, well, let's hold on. Why are we about to get mad about this? And it's not, you know, you know, you could see all the memes or like the sketches, like how does a new age couple like, well, I acknowledge the sentiment that you're feeling, but also would like to bring uh, to the table the emotions revolving around this. Like we're not there, right. but it's just like, okay, wait, why are we about to get mad? Is it because you're misunderstanding what I'm saying? Like, let's look at it. Let's look at why we're getting mad. And I still am of this. There's part of me. It's like, no, you argue with people. Sometimes that's what a conversation is, is it's arguing, and she doesn't believe in that at all. But that's, I see it as like, it can be fun mm-hmm. when two people are disagreeing and getting each other's face about yeah. it. I like the word disagreeing. I feel like when it gets into, you know, um, attacking each other, using yeah. words that are kind of loaded rather than just saying, you know, when you when you said something to me in that tone of voice just sounded a little word the words you chose the, the yeah. tone of voice it hurt my feelings and, and and i need to say that so so we can move on you yeah know, that to me has been a helpful tool in dealing with it rather than saying every time you know you come <laughs> here you don't do this and yeah. you do that and it's been knowing how to just address like all right this is why we're getting mad is because we didn't communicate things mm-hmm. And so let's communicate them now before it escalates. And it has been incredibly helpful. So that the couples therapy has been real helpful. Personal therapy, I still haven't. I just don't know how to get to the next phase of it. Have Have you learned any tools in therapy that uh, you break out uh, sometimes to deal with? So, some of them, like the one was just, you know, you can't control somebody else's happiness. So if somebody's going to make choices in their life, you can't make, you you know, and so it was, like, it was mostly like dealing with, you know, certain people like, oh, well, they're not going to change and they're not going to do better for themselves and you want them to like, well, that's not my responsibility. And it's hard to deal with that because, well, that's, it's people that I care about. You know, it's people that I love. You're talking friends, relatives? Or, yeah. Or, you yeah. Know, you don't have to be specific. Yeah. A friendly relative. Yeah. And uh, it's like, well, they're... They've they're making their choices, and you know, like, well, if that person, I'm I'm one for like, I'm real good about telling people, you know, you should start going to therapy, and I barely go myself, and I haven't gotten to it. But again, there's the projection. Like, oh, I know it's good for you. How dare I? How dare <laughs> I sit there and tell somebody? Well, the guy who lays in bed till eleven, drinks every night, knows what's good for me. All right, uh, but. Yes, it's just I, 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 that was what the therapist was like. Yeah, you can't. All you can do is accept the choices that they've made. Why get mad about them? Stop getting mad that somebody's not doing what you want them to do with their mm-hmm. life because that's their life. And separate. It's tough when somebody you love and care about. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I, oh, you're not happy, and I think these are a few things you could do to be happy, right. but you don't want to do them. So I'm just going to sit here and be quiet. Well, and you, you. Well, well, yeah, and it's like, yeah, why? 
yeah, it's so easy for us to mistake that as caring. When yeah. we, if we really think about it, sometimes it's our way of making ourselves more comfortable. If they would just change, I wouldn't have to feel this anxiety about, you yeah. know, are they going to kill themselves? Are they going to ruin their life? You know, yeah. it's it's like uh, that thing when when somebody loses a loved one, uh, and you say, well, look at all this other stuff you have in your life, instead of just sitting with them and, you know, having them yeah. s- snotty cry on your on your shoulder. It's so often we do things again, going back to intent. We do things sometimes not even realizing we're doing it to make ourselves more comfortable. Yeah, I got Mrs. called me out on that because uh, our cat had passed away. And I was we were both equally sad about it. But I tried to be like, well, look, we did this for the cat. She's like, let me just I'm just going to be sad about it right now. This other stuff doesn't make me feel better. And it's yeah, I'm just rushing because like I see, you know, somebody I care about. That's not like I want them to feel better. Mm -hmm. But my methods are just making it worse. Like it's like sometimes people want space. The greatest, Oh, the phrase that was introduced is like, do you want advice or you want me to listen? That's a great When one. somebody's just going off about something. Yeah. That was such an important thing to be able to tell people and to be able to ask people like, do you want my advice on what you're complaining? Or do you just want me to listen right now? And I will say that out loud. It's like, don't worry about saying anything back to me. I just got a vent for a while. That's so awesome. And now whether the person listening hears me say that and respects that, mm-hmm. that's a different story. <laughs> Those are the people I'm like, I just want you to listen. Yeah, but I, no, no, no. Listening is with your ears. Yeah, but I just want to say, no, no, no. It's I mm-hmm. just want you to listen. Okay, there's, here's a reason we don't have these conversations is because there's boundaries that mm-hmm. have been set and they're not. Uh, paid attention to. I'm, I'm really gl- glad you <laughs> brought up boundaries because that was the thing that I, that I was going to ask you about um, learning to accept that it's not up to you to try to change somebody. And you can't. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a integral part of that is saying, okay, I can't change them. What am I going to do to protect myself from getting wound up and resentful? That was That was the that was the big one I took for my last Stint, stint in therapy. Do we have stints in therapy mm-hmm. at least? Um, was learning that like, all right, yeah, what you're saying tools. Like what do I have to do for myself? I was like, all right, just listen to them. Maybe it, it's not offering advice, but it might be suggesting a, an alternative fun thing to do. Oh, you're not doing anything tonight. Oh, yeah, I heard this movie's good. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to go see this movie. Not like you need to start going to different restaurants and change things up. Oh, no, I had this kind of food the other day. It was pretty good. If there's something around, you know, by you that you might want to try this right. different kind of food. It's just something like that. So, you know, you're kind of you're offering an idea, but I'm not going to take it personally that they are not choosing to do different for themselves. Right. So you're staying out of the results, as they say. Yeah, yeah, I guess. At least outwardly. Well, yeah, a little bit. You still got, you know, you still got other people to talk to. Like, you believe so-and-so's doing this or not doing this? You still. But uh, that's my process. And also, like, yeah, I guess what I'm I'm trying to avoid, like, getting, like, I I know uh, we'll talk about it. Like, I just, uh, it's, it's just people that you care about that you want, like, to be doing better and you know that they're probably depressed or whatever it's like all right your time here is limited and this is how you're going out 
Ah, it sucks. That sucks to watch. It really fucking sucks. It really sucks. It's so hard to watch. Yeah, you're not going to spin it or just try like no you're going to stay stay that you're going to stay that way cuz change even if it's for the better is still scarier than just sad contentment but maybe they're not who am i maybe now yeah. am i judging maybe they're i don't think they're happy but I, maybe they're fine and maybe they need to be miserable to change something in their life maybe they need to be yeah. even more deeply miserable than they are uh, right now or to do something that is really tragic or you know whatever but, but that's the midwest thing is like no you don't get doesn't not everybody gets to be good you hope for fine if you get to fine you're greedy for wanting more that's the that's what i'm born out of so that's the biggest juxtaposition of like wanting to be more successful but how dare i I don't even deserve this much. And like trying to split that down the middle from where I'm from, like, oh, look who's like the whole, like, oh, so, oh, they think they're better than us. Why? Because they bought a nice car. Maybe they like cars. They don't think that you're better. They just did something else with their life. It did, are doing okay. Dude, you have to call your next special, How Dare I? <laughs> How Dare I? <laughs> um, that's what I'm calling this episode. <laughs> How Dare I, Kyle Kane. I swear to God, that's what it's going to be called. It, it really, that, those, are the, those are the two the, the two sides of the coin that I deal with. Like, I'm, I can't believe I'm not getting more, and you don't deserve this. <laughs> right. And it, I think, maybe I'm blaming the Midwest too much for it, but it, yeah. it was a... I mean, I don't know, like, I don't know where you, like, where you grew up in the suburbs in the city. of yeah. Chicago. Well-to-do yeah. or? Uh, we shared a high school with a very well-to-do. We were pretty solidly middle class. Okay. I was in Homewood and okay. Flossmore okay. Homewood, was, Flossmore, you know, sure. million-dollar houses, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah. And so, you, I mean, I, that's enough to know of, like, no, you work, you pay your bills, yeah. you have a weekend off. And our high school had racquetball courts and an ice rink oh. and an indoor soccer. Wow! Yeah, dude. So doing all right. it's like you got to you got to see how the other half lived. This is what happens. Yeah. Somebody introduced lacrosse. <laughs> Never even knew what that was. Like, right. That's some rich person's sport yeah. about lacrosse. But yeah, I really did that. I think is one of the big issues it comes down to is how dare I think I deserve it's, more and because and, and just because and then that's those are the people around me that I'm like you deserve more you deserve to be happy no why okay you, well I can't I can't argue with that I can't I can't argue <laughs> with that sentiment a word switch that really really helped me was not using the word deserve anymore but using the word worthy that I can accept that I am worthy yeah. of this or that but it is I'm not owed it. And that's okay. the thing that the word deserve. I, I personally had to stop using that because I couldn't accept deserve. It felt too uh, grandiose and entitled to me. Nobody's going to give it For to me. you, but it's out there to take it if you it want. It is out there. Okay. And if it All comes right. to you, it, it is not a miscarriage of justice. <laughs> But it also doesn't hurt to put yourself in a position to receive it. Exactly. <laughs> you kind of got to do that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, that's a good, I like that one. Yeah. And and if you are experiencing gratitude, not just intellectually, but emotionally for the good things that come to you, 
Dude, that's batting a thousand to me. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if it's if, if it's sincere, if it's like, I know if I lose that part, if I lose that grounding, then I'm completely untethered. Like, I, so how do, like, I, I better think, not lose this. Dude, I don't uh, think you are ever in danger. The little that we know of each other, just from the last 56 minutes we've spent talking, I don't think, I don't think that's your struggle all right, is well, to get uh, to your ego to inflate it. So maybe I got to try to be more egotistical. Maybe that's my, uh, let's go for it. Let's go. F- let's, uh, w- yeah. I think you should start wearing a cape. I think I just need a new, I think I need a character. Yeah. Did you ever find that doing, doing character? Like, oh, this, there's a little bit of me in this that I'm allowing to happen right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly the, the dark impulsive thoughts, you know, when I do the, that horrible political character that I do, you know, he says the opposite of everything I believe in. Yeah. But when you're (laughs) taking questions from the audience and improvising, that dark thought is still popping into my head. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought it would be the funniest if like, if there was a ventriloquist, but the the guy was racist and the, and the puppet, the puppet was just really disappointed in him. Oh, dude, that's so funny. <laughs> the puppet's always like, you can't say that. <laughs> just missing what, the point of having a ventriloquist what a act. fresh take that would be. Guy, he's just doing accents and everything. The puppet just looks like he works in middle management and is oh always, has his head down in shame. <laughs> The puppet works for HR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. They've sent me here to kind of oversee the act, and uh, this is this is looking okay. Well, you can't say that. What are you talking about, oh, dude? I want to see you do that. I want to see you do that so badly. What? What? What else? What other struggles? Uh, not that we. Not that we don't have uh, enough. I feel like we've 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 covered a lot, but I, you know. No, I I, I guess. I guess it is ambition and everything. Again, it's always the dichotomy of like, well, am I lucky that I, I'm i a comedian and I, you know, I'm, I think, you know, middle class, as make a middle class living as a comedian. Am I supposed to want more? Because I think like, oh, is it lazy that like all I do is tell jokes and then I do everything I want with my free time? Or isn't that the fake dream everybody told themselves like, well, when I retire, I'm going to do all these things. I'm like, yeah, when you retire, your body will be broken and your mind will be warped by constant employment that you won't know how to relax. Whereas I'm going to do that now because there's no guarantee that 65 years old is part of my future. Right. So maybe it's just this false American Americanized sense of a living that I should be grinding until I'm 60 right. and then I can relax and just, I don't know, sit in my garage and drink light beer and cut wood for the rest next 20 years, which is what my neighbor did after he retired. That's or right. if I'm doing it now, is this, I'm pretty grateful for, for having the time now to do these things. You know, as, as you say that, the thought that comes to me is one of the things you're sharing is what you feel and the mm-hmm. other is you're sharing what you think. And it sounds like the thing that you feel is the authentic you, yeah. which is you enjoy your free time. You work as hard as you want. It's working for you. Yeah. And the part that is thinking something 
was implanted by something else. Just my interpretation of what yeah. I, I hear coming out of your mouth. Your, your filthy, I just need worthless to know mouth. how much this hour is going to cost because we didn't discuss. We've gotten we've you've gotten more out of me than multiple therapy sessions, so I could leave a few bucks. Honestly, Paul, this has been helpful. That that, that is a great. It is always like, well, what? How am I perceived? Again, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, how am I perceived by others, and why should I care about how I'm perceived mm-hmm. by others? Uh, I'm genuinely happy in my day to day. And, you know, not, not for the, you know, some work and some maturing and it took me a while to get there and it was a non-traditional path in life to get to this point. And I'll knock on wood. I haven't had any major tragedies shape my outlook or affect how I, I view being alive and being appreciative for things. And I have a supportive family and, you know, the, the, the people closest to me that I care about, I think they're not project. They're not saying that about me. It's more like, right. wow, that's, you know, pretty, pretty lucky. Good for you. And I'm not trying to throw it in their face. And it's still, yeah, I make as much as I would at a job that I hate. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it, it does always come in the, the outward judgment and the imposter syndrome and, but also because that outward judgment gets what gives you your job is like, oh, people think you're funny. Well, if people yeah. think you're funny, but they don't like who you are, then your value drops as a comedian. If people think you're kind of funny, but then they like who you are because they see you on social media all the time, your value goes up as a comedian. You're going to sell more tickets being a likable guy that somebody can access every time on social media than you will be just being a funny stand-up. But I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, that's so I have to. Are. I just have to be... Good at stand up and hopefully maintain this, but it's still it, it's still what strangers feel about you is your value, and that's the mm. message I want to get across. That's Kyle. what's most important is now it's about what strangers think about you. Let's get out there and let's be popular. <laughs> it really is, <laughs> dude. Thank you so much for for coming by. Uh, your special is called Shocks and Struts, and uh, anybody who's never checked out Kyle's comedy, it is uh, it's great and it's original. And uh, I respect what you do, man. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me. I really, really enjoyed that, especially uh, you know not only because he was a he was a nice guy, but he's such an original and and great comedic voice. Um, and I always love when I come across somebody. Somebody like that. And I can't remember what the bit was that I referenced uh, telling him how much I loved it and how much other comedians love it. So I apologize for that. But check his stuff out. He's, uh, he's really great. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is from the Loves survey, and this is filled out by a person who calls themselves Here and Gone. And they write, I love things in tiny boxes, perfume and solo walks, laughing babies. I wonder if anybody likes crying babies. There's somebody, I'm sure, who's like, oh, oh, that soothing sound. Uh, Gallows humor, when someone you're getting to know becomes someone you can really let loose with. When my partner greets me with a hug or a kiss. Shoes in my size. The smell of winter thawing into spring. That might be one of my favorites of all times. Especially if you grew up in the Midwest where you're just, or the North or wherever, anywhere except Southern California where you're just dying for the snow to melt and to see stuff green. Uh, Sad songs or books. When people can keep time, which reminds me of the, I assume she's talking musical time, reminds me of the joke, how do you know when... (laughs) How do you know when a drummer's at the door? When the knock speeds up. Uh, and seeing someone passionate or in their element. Those are great. Thank you for those. This is from the Shame and Secret survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Moonchild. I believe we've read her surveys before. She identifies as uh, other. She writes, uh, I'm unsure uh, as of recently. I believe I might be bisexual, but have never been with a girl, but I'm attracted to them. She's in her 20s, says that she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. She writes, I had a friend in my neighborhood teach me how to scissor when I was around the age of six. After the incident, I went on to have similar experiences with other children, even family members around the same age as me at the time. I would kiss my cousins in secret and have never told anyone. This carries shame and a deep sense of, Uh, of abusing other children as well as incest. Uh, Another time, I had drank and fell asleep on the floor of a friend of a friend's house. I woke up to a guy attempting to put his dick inside me. I told him to get the fuck off of me, and thankfully he did. I realize now if I had not woke up, he would have raped me. She's been physically and emotionally abused. She writes, I grew up in a dysfunctional family dynamic, alcoholic, trauma. A traumatized father and codependent mother. Eventually, my mother remarried to a man with extreme narcissistic tendencies. As a child, I knew something was off about him and felt uncomfortable <clears throat> Excuse me, around him my entire childhood. I have been in multiple physically and emotionally <clears throat> sorry, abusive romantic relationships. I also have a history of attracting narcissistic relationships. I remember in one of my abusive relationships, he took me to a park, made me get out of the car, walked me over by a tree, snatched me up and told me he would bury me there. He also busted my door in by repeatedly kicking it. I still to this day, I'm afraid he will come after me once he is out of prison for what he did. Oh my God. Holy shit. Any positive experiences with abusers? Yes. This is hard for me. So hard and confusing because my heart feels so deeply for people. I'm someone who truly is able to see the sides of people that I believe are so beautiful. A manifestation of God's work. This is partly why I struggled with abusive friendships, relationships, and my family dynamics 
because not every aspect of the relationship was bad. Some of the most traumatizing parts of my life have taught me the most. It's so profound and so true for so many of us. Darkest thoughts. I sometimes have a, uh, have scary, wild thoughts that I will sexually abuse someone or hurt someone. It isn't necessarily something I want to do. More of a flash of it happening and then feeling fearful about it coming true, if that makes sense. That's a really common thing. And if you listen to the episode with uh, Kimberly Quinlan, she talks about, you know, the most important thing if if, if we have um, thoughts of like, oh my God, you know, what if I can't control myself and I throw that baby in the trash can or I step out in front of a bus and can't stop myself? It's, she said, the important thing is that it's against your moral code and that's just your brain making noise. Uh, and, and one of the worst things, uh, I believe she said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, is that you give weight to it and tell yourself, I have to stop thinking that instead of just observing it and letting it pass. Uh, darkest thoughts. I sometimes have scary, wild thoughts uh, that I will sexually abuse someone or hurt someone. It isn't. Oh, did I read that one? Yes, I read that one. The second one of darkest thoughts. I'm sometimes glad my daughter's father passed away from an overdose because of all the shit he put me through and would have continued to do if he were alive. Darkest secrets. Uh, kissing my cousins when I was a child. Drinking in the beginning of my pregnancy, knowing I was pregnant, uh, to have a miscarriage. I was in such a dark place at the time, living in a halfway house, had literally not one dollar to my name, didn't know who the father was, and felt such, like such a worthless human being. I did not want to bring a child into the world with their mother being me. Uh, before I hit rock bottom a couple of years ago, I would spank my daughter. I remember vividly feeling so angry one time that I turned around and either swung or pushed her so hard that she fell and hit her head on a shelf in her room. I immediately grabbed her and could not believe what I had done. I do not know if I will ever forgive myself. I also remember her having a hard time going to sleep one evening and I left her to cry in her room until she fell asleep. Even typing this, I feel the tightest knot in my chest. I would give anything in this life to change some scenarios such as those. I was an abusive parent. And I think the key word there is was. That's the most important thing is that it's was. Uh... Continuing with the darkest secrets, not knowing who my father's, my daughter's father is. Uh, I spent nine grand, uh, my $9,000 inheritance my daughter received from her great-grandfather. I sometimes hit my cat when she bites me or gets into the trash. I used to abuse my dog during active addiction. I sold my body for drugs during addiction. I have no friends, money, or family at this current point in my life. I feel as though I am a bucket of shame. I just want to say that you are not your shame. And the one thing that you have control over is working to become the person that you want to be. And I say it all the time on this podcast, but nobody has ever shamed themselves into the person that they want to be. Uh, you can have compassion for yourself while setting goals to grow. Um, and 
the things that you did in your addiction, that doesn't speak to me about what a bad person you are. That speaks to me about the power of addiction and especially the anger and the fear that it generates. Before I got sober, I was such an angry, fearful person and I couldn't see it. I thought it was reality. Um, sexual fantasies most powerful to you? None. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would tell anyone who ever mistreated, abused, or used me that I hope they slowly burn in hell. Uh, I would have thought that you'd give them a quick roast, but you go slow. Do you do the wood chips or do you do the lava rocks? I got to think that hell is the lava rocks because it's way down there in the earth. I don't think there's a mine shaft where they're going to get wood chips down there. If they do, though, I hope it's a nice applewood because I think that I think applewood goes best with human flesh. I would tell my daughter that anything I've ever done or said that hurt her was never about her, that it was always a me thing and that she deserves the absolute best of everything that God has created for her. That's really beautiful. And, and I encourage you to connect that thought to your willingness to do the work to stay sober and grow uh, because that's the best amends that we can make is to grow away from being the person that we hated that we that we were what if anything do you wish for i wish you could go back in time when i was pregnant i would read parenting books eat healthier and get a therapist I wish I could go back and heal the darkest parts of myself before having my daughter. Have you shared these, these things with others? I've shared some bits and pieces, definitely not everything. I'm afraid I've ever told someone how I treated my daughter before my rock bottom that she would get taken from me. Others I am afraid of telling because of the heavy shame associated with doing so. How do you feel after writing these things down? Fearful I will be judged and disgusted that I am more worried about how I would be perceived than the acts themselves. I don't get that from 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 you sharing that. I get I I get a feeling of genuine, genuine contrition for for that. And what human being would not, when you were feeling shame, be concerned with what other people think of us? Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? God, your higher power, and or the universe loves you. Thank you for that. And thank you for going deep. Going deep. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but nothing helps relieve my shame like opening up to someone who is safe and trustworthy. It It's... Uh, it helps. And speaking of helps, this is from the What Has Helped You survey, and this is filled out by a gender-fluid person who refers to themselves as Sleepy Wanderer. Uh, what were or are you your issues or struggles? Uh, disorganized attachment, major depression, uh, anxiety, Crohn's disease, low-frequency deafness, and chronic fatigue syndrome. Other than that, you got nothing going on. Holy shit. That is a lot. What has helped you deal with them? CBT and DBT frameworks. 
Uh, no stand for cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavior therapy. Uh, learning to love myself. Learning that being a disabled person can be empowering and joyful. Talking to my partner about my inner punitive parent. Putting my love of caring into productive and helpful ways every day. What, if anything, have people said or done for you that's helped you with your issues? Uh, when a person gives space for me to talk, like a whole lot of space, I find it hard to truly see and open up how I am feeling and what I may be struggling with that day. But if a person gives me a pause, lets me know that they're ready to listen whenever I'm ready to speak, it's absolutely amazing because I learned as a child to always hold space for others and not for myself. It's very powerful and reaffirming when I get given that space too. So true, man. Sometimes the most helpful thing someone can do for us or we can do for them is to just sit, even if it's in silence. Just give them our attention. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey, and this is filled out by a trans man who uh, calls himself Technically Alive. Uh, he identifies as gay. He's in his 20s, says that he was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. My sister molested me as a child. The only person I've ever told is my partner because he went through the same thing with his brother. It makes me feel dirty because at the time I knew it was wrong but allowed it to happen and even initiated at times. I can feel confused as to why she did it so often and how she learned of sex. We've never talked about it and I have no idea when it stopped or started. And maybe the reason I can barely remember my life before middle school. My ex also used to get used me to get off once without my consent, humping my back as I laid down after saying I didn't feel like getting him off. I never thought of it as assault and still don't since we were both clothed, but it haunts me at times. He has been emotionally abused. My ex-boyfriend would gaslight me in the typical, I'm a second-year psych major, so I know all emotions all the time. I was in one of the worst mental places of my life and would often say how I wanted to die. After a few months, he started saying I should just do it if I keep saying that or how annoying it was to hear me say it. I agreed with him and pushed all my emotions down. He would force me to clean his room, then get mad at me if I put something in the wrong place. After we broke up, I kept hooking up with him. He kept telling me that maybe we'd get back together. And when I tried to end our sexual relationship, he said that he was starting to get feelings for me again. I kept going back to him until I met my current partner who made me realize my worth. Any positive experiences with the abuser. My ex and I went on a lot of trips together in nature and saw some beautiful sights. I miss those moments in the mountains, but not the person beside me. Darkest thoughts. I vividly imagine my own suicide and what it would feel like to bleed out. I feel peace when I do this, then come back to reality and have to talk myself down. I'm not even actively suicidal, but it's a passive thought. Darkest secrets. I would initiate the sexual acts with my sister as a child, knowing this was wrong. I didn't know why I thought it was wrong, but I did. I feel shame and that I shouldn't classify it as abuse because I wanted it at times. <clears throat> I encourage you to listen to the uh, episode with Leah McCord, 
especially the end of her interview. That was one that really opened a lot of doors for me because she talked about experiencing incest from her father and after kind of becoming groomed into it becoming normal, she for years felt blamed herself because she occasionally initiated it. But it's a child doesn't know. And our body can experience physical pleasure while our soul is screaming, this doesn't feel right. I think that's also why it's so difficult to process. I think why there are those hurdles of... Um, you know, blaming ourselves. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being the sole focus of a threesome. Writing that makes me feel uncomfortable because I know I wouldn't trust anyone with my body other than my partner and that I would be too insecure of my partner finding them better than me. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to know why you used me as we were both children. Was this happening to you? To my ex, did you cheat on me? Were you hooking up with other people while we were friends with benefits and told me it was just me? What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to achieve my dreams, knowing it's statistically not possible. I want to live in a quiet home with my partner and all our pets. I want to feel peace with him on a porch, drinking our coffee, knowing it worked out. Have you shared these things with others? Others, I've shared with my partner and felt heard. I never knew anyone else child-on-child uh, -child sex abuse had happened to and felt like I wasn't alone. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel lighter. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Being a child, ignorant to everything other than a nagging feeling, isn't your fault. It is still trauma when it was another child doing this to you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I know that stuff can be really hard to to delve back into because it's, at least in our minds, it's not black and white. And um, yeah, I think I, I would, if there's any question I would want to ask anybody, uh, it would be my mom. And I would want to say, why? Why did you do those creepy things to me? How aware were you? of how inappropriate they were. Did you feel any guilt about it? Did you just brush it out of your mind? Did you plan them or was it spontaneous? This is from the love survey and this is filled out by somebody who, and this is our last survey, uh, somebody who calls himself feeling my feelings. They write, I love Saturday mornings when I can stay in bed till 10 o'clock Drinking coffee, reading a good novel, and snuggling with my two dogs. I love when a newcomer to Al-Anon uh, comes in and we all get the chance to share what we've learned and how we have grown in the program. Today, a guy who rarely speaks up shared that every week he learns something by coming to the group. That is so That is so life-affirming, that feeling being in a support group and seeing that it's helping someone because we're so often we're just wrapped up in our own shit and it never occurs to us, you know, we always think, oh, do I need a meeting? And, it, and we so rarely ever think, does a, need, a meeting need me? Could a meeting benefit from me showing up? And the answer is probably always yes. 
I love that my social media feed is mostly filled with loving and affirming voices. Friends sharing their joys and struggles, celebrating achievements, encouraging others, and being vulnerable. I love the genuine joy on my teenage daughter's face when she receives outside validation or praise for something she created. I love walking barefoot on the freshly cut grass. One of my favorites. Why do all of my favorites have to do with grass? Uh, I love a good hair day. I love when my husband grills dinner. I love soaking in an Epsom salt bath in the middle of the day when no one else is home. And I love Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays when my favorite podcasts drop new episodes. I pop in my earbuds, hop on the treadmill, and listen, and laugh and cry and learn and grow. Thank you for being a bright spot in my week, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And those are beautiful, beautiful loves. I need to be reminded of all the, all the good things in the world, all the beautiful things, because, you know, like I was talking about earlier in the podcast, it's so easy for me to go to that place where, where can I have control, thinking that that is where safety lies. And I don't know about you, but for me, some of the safest moments I've felt in my life have been where I've been vulnerable, surrounded by things that I love or people that I love, and putting putting the mask away and just, just being myself. If you're out there and you're feeling stuck, just uh, never forget that uh, there is help and you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.